As I was wondering what to preach about this week, the theme of forgiveness kept coming to mind. Forgiveness is something that we talk about a lot at church. In fact, every week we have a time of confession and assurance like Connor just led us through this morning in which we come before God and we ask for his forgiveness for the things we've done wrong. It's a part of our worship that reminds us of the good news that we are people who are forgiven and made new through the grace of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. It also reminds us that that we are people who are called to live new lives, that we are to forgive as Christ forgave us. And yet, forgiveness can be easier said than done at times, especially when the hurt runs deep. And so this morning we're going to take a look at a story from the Bible that teaches us about what it means to forgive. But before we do that, let's come before God in a moment of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather on a beautiful summer day, to come together and to worship you, to pour out our hearts before you, and to listen for what you want to say to us. And this morning, God, we ask that as we open up your word, as we listen for what you have for us this morning, that you would be at work in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear what you want to say to us. Help us to take it to heart. Transform us so that we can become people who love you deeply, who serve you faithfully, and who reach out to our neighbors to bless them joyfully. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Today we're gonna be reading from Genesis chapter 45, beginning at verse one. But before we get into the text, I wanna set the background and give you a bit of the backstory. We're jumping into the life of a man named Joseph at a pivotal moment in his life. Joseph is one of 12 brothers. Growing up, it was no secret that he was dad's favorite. No matter what Joseph did, he could do no wrong. Meanwhile, the brothers could do nothing right, it seemed. As you can imagine, this created a bit of tension in the family. By the time Joseph was 17 years old, his older brothers hated him. They hated him so much that they decided to get rid of him. One day, they they threw him into a pit ignored his screams for help, and were going to leave him to die. Then a a caravan came by, and they figured they might as well make some money off the situation. So they sold him to the caravan, sent him away, hopefully never to see him again. Then they concocted a story about him being killed by wild animals to tell to their father. What really happened to their brother Joseph was their little secret. Joseph ends up being taken by that caravan to Egypt where he's sold as a slave. Over the course of the next two decades, he slowly rises in power in Egypt until he comes into a position where he's in Pharaoh's court, in the Egyptian court, second only to Pharaoh himself. Then, one day, Joseph's brothers show up out of the blue, unexpected. There's a famine going on, and Joseph is in charge of meeting with the people who are coming to Egypt to to buy grain that they have in Egypt stored up. And suddenly, 
there they are, in the line with the others, his brothers. The ones who threw him in a pit, left him for dead, sold him into slavery. The ones who wanted to get rid of him. They're here, bowing down before him, begging him for food to feed their family, his family. And suddenly, Joseph has to wrestle with the pain of the past and and decide what he's going to do, how he's going to respond. His brothers don't recognize him. He's grown up a lot since that day they left him. On top of that, ruling in Pharaoh's court is likely the last place they expect to meet the brother they last saw wandering down the road with a slave caravan. Joseph keeps his identity a secret at first. He asks the brothers about their family and ends up designing a test to see how they've changed over the years. He creates a situation in which they have the opportunity to do to the youngest brother the same that they did to him or similar. He watches and waits to see what they will do. When one of the brothers pleads with him, offering his own life in exchange for that of the younger brother, Joseph is deeply moved. All this leads up to a climactic scene in Genesis chapter 45, where Joseph finally reveals his true identity to his brothers. Let's pick up the story in verse one of chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. 
Then he threw his arms around Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. After this reunion that we read about in Genesis 45, Joseph's brothers bring their family to come live in Egypt. Joseph provides for him, for them, and it seems that things are good between the brothers. But the brothers still carry within them that lingering fear that Joseph's going to get back at them for what they've done. It comes up again when, when Jacob, their father, dies. So let's skip ahead to Genesis chapter 50. We'll begin reading at, at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of, your, of God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. When I read this story, I'm amazed by Joseph's response to his brothers. It's a true testimony to, to God's ability to work through incredibly challenging and broken situations. There are so many terrible things that have happened to Joseph in his life at the hands of, of those around him. He's been betrayed by his own family, rejected, abandoned, sent away. His life in Egypt hasn't been that good either. After working hard earning the trust of his first Egyptian master, he ended up being falsely accused and thrown into jail where he sat for years. His rise into a position of power in Egypt has been preceded by seemingly one unfortunate event after another. Joseph could easily, after all that's happened to him, have become consumed by anger and, and bitterness when he meets his brothers again, he has every reason to want to get back at them and take revenge, to make them and their families suffer like he's suffered. That's exactly what the brothers expect will happen. They're scared speechless when they realize that the Egyptian official in front of them is their brother Joseph, who they've done so much wrong to. Hurt people hurt people. And Joseph has been deeply hurt by their actions towards them. Hurt people, hurt people. It's a cycle we see over and over again in the world around us. One person's pain causes them to lash out and in turn they cause others pain. As people react and respond, it, it can escalate. Voices raise, doors slam, family members stop communicating with each other. Tears are shed, trust is betrayed, relationships are damaged, innocent people get hurt. 
Anger and bitterness can take root, and resentment and even hatred can boil beneath the surface for, for decades, even generations. In Joseph's story, the escalating conflict leads to a 17-year-old boy being sold into slavery by his brothers. In our world today, we see families broken apart, jobs lost, even missiles fired as entire nations get drawn into conflicts. The cycles of, of hurt and brokenness and pain continue with devastating consequences. But God, in his grace, is in the business of breaking cycles of hurt. By some miracle, Joseph doesn't respond to his brothers with vengeance or hatred. He's made peace with his past. As he looks back on all that's happened to him, he's able to see how all the pieces fell into place to bring him to this place where he is today. He recognizes that, that what others intended for evil to harm him, God was actually able to work for good to save the lives of many. He's come to a place where he can not only not punish his brothers, but actually reach out to provide for them and their children. Through his words and his actions, he breaks that cycle of hurt. God is in the business of breaking cycles of hurt. The story of Joseph points us forward to the ultimate story of grace and forgiveness. The story of how in the person of Jesus Christ, God himself steps into human history to break a cycle of sin and death. Justice demands punishment for all the wrongs that have been done. In his mercy, God takes that punishment on himself. As the book of Isaiah says about Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that bought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is the, the good news that we've sung about already earlier in this service. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, when we mess up and, and get it wrong, God doesn't give us the punishment we deserve. Instead, he reaches out and offers us healing. He offers us a fresh start and new chances. And as God continues to break cycles of hurt in our world today, he invites us to be a part of it. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be people of reconciliation who bring healing to the communities that we are a part of. Jesus teaches all those who follow him to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And he calls us to respond counterculturally when we are wronged. As he teaches in Matthew chapter five, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for all those who persecute you. Early church leader Paul picks up on this same theme in his letter to the followers of Jesus in a place called Colossae. He writes, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. All of this is easier said than done, as I mentioned earlier. Forgiving can be incredibly difficult. And I think what I appreciate so much of Joseph's story is that it shows both the the power and the complexity of forgiveness and human relationships. So I invite you to notice a few things in this story that give us some insights into what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. Insights that, that can help us in our own lives when we're struggling in a situation and wondering how can we ever forgive. First of all, notice that, that what Joseph does is far from easy. The work of reconciliation is, is hard emotional work. Several times in the text we've looked at today and in the previous chapters, Joseph breaks down and weeps. When we process painful things from our past, it can bring up a lot of emotions, some of them not very pleasant as we move towards a place of healing. Second, notice that this is a process that takes some time for Joseph. He doesn't come to a place where he can extend forgiveness and hospitality and provision to his brothers overnight. The story doesn't go, one day Joseph's brothers show up out of the blue and Joseph runs to them, hugs them, and says, I'm Joseph, it's all forgiven. It didn't matter what you did to me. No, there's, there's a process. Between the, the time that he, his brothers first show up to the time when Joseph reveals his identity, there's been at least a year that's gone by. A year in which Joseph has had time to to wrestle through things, to process, to pray. Which leads us to the third thing to notice, and that's the presence of healthy boundaries. Before revealing his identity to his brothers and allowing them back into his life, Joseph tests them to see if they've changed. Part of what rebuilds the trust and the relationship between them is is them being able to see how how genuinely remorseful they are about what they've done to him. If the brothers had responded differently to his test, I don't know that the story would have the same ending. Joseph may still have forgiven them, but there may not have been the same level of restored relationship between them. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that things will automatically go back to the way that they were. There are always consequences to our actions. And trust can take time to rebuild in a relationship with others. Also notice that that Joseph doesn't minimize or downplay what he's gone through or the wrong that has been done to him. He doesn't say, oh, it was no big deal. It didn't really hurt that much. No, Joseph names the reality of what his brothers have done when he says, you meant it for harm. You meant it for evil to me. Forgiving someone doesn't mean excusing what they did, saying it was okay or that their behavior was justified. It doesn't mean that they're no longer responsible for their actions or that what happened didn't really hurt. True forgiveness involves acknowledging all of that as Joseph does and then making the choice to forgive anyways to give up the desire for revenge and resentment and negative evaluations, to keep no record of wrongs, to give up the wish or hope that one can change the past, 
to accept the unfairness of what happened and to give up the wish that the other person's behavior made any sense. To show goodness and kindness even to people who harmed you. Part of what helps Joseph to do this is, is recognizing that his brothers are ultimately accountable to a higher power, to God. When his brothers fall before him asking him to forgive their sins, he responds, am I in the place of God? Joseph rightly points out that they will have to answer to God for what they've done to him. This is a theme that comes up again and again in the Bible. We see it highlighted in the New Testament in the book of Romans chapter 12. Do not repay anyone for evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The work of forgiveness and reconciliation can be hard emotional work. There may be tears along the way and, and healthy boundaries may need to be put in place. But at the end of the day, it's worth it. God longs to heal us from the wounds of the past. God wants us to continue to work to take what was meant for evil, and God wants to weave that into the stories of our lives for good. He longs for us to experience the freedom that comes as we allow him to, to uproot the bitterness that can take root in our hearts so easily. After all the challenges of the past few years, the disruptions and changes, my guess is that many of us have some healing to do. We've been through a lot of disruption and changes and many people have faced challenges in their personal lives. Out of places of, of fear, stress, and pain, people may have said and done things that have caused pain to others. Maybe you've been hurt. Or maybe you've been someone who intentionally or unintentionally has said and done things that have hurt others. As we wrap up this message, we're gonna move into a time of, of congregational prayer. In prayer, there'll be time and space to invite God to reveal any places where the work of reconciliation may need to happen. Let's join together in prayer. Loving God, we thank you that you are a God of forgiveness and grace. As Psalm 103 says, you do not harbor our sins against us or repay us according to our iniquities. For as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. Thank you that through Jesus Christ, we can come before you with all our imperfections and that you welcome us with open arms. As we sang earlier today, your arms are open wide. Thank you that in your mercy you welcome us just as we are. And thank you that in your mercy you don't leave us that way. You call us to transformation. And so this morning, 
We ask that you would be at work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Bring to mind any, any places, situations, or relationships in which we need to be forgiven or in which we need to forgive. We pray with the psalmist in 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any sinful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In the silence, we listen. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work in the places you brought to mind. Be at work in our hearts. Be at work in the hearts of others. Give wisdom, courage, discernment, and strength. In challenging conversations, give us the words to speak and the wisdom to know when to remain silent. Grant us the ability to release those who have harmed us into your hands. Heal the wounds that have been left. Empower us to let go of bitterness and to live in peace, joy, and freedom. Thank you that you continue to be a God who steps into places where there is hurt and brokenness and that you bring healing, hope, and new life. We pray for all those who are struggling today. You know the situations and challenges, whether they're they're health challenges, financial challenges, relational challenges. We pray for your provision, that you would continue to take what the enemy means for evil and work it for good. We pray for the places in the world where there is conflict and lack of security. We pray for ongoing conflicts in Ukraine, in Yemen, in Afghanistan, in Myanmar, and in the Tigray region. We pray for peaceful resolutions, for wisdom, for restoration and healing. We pray for all those who have been displaced and struggle for the daily necessities of life. As we watch the news and and hear of all that's going on in our world, the many injustices and inequities, we admit it can be easy to be overwhelmed and feel powerless to know exactly how we can make a difference. Open our eyes to the ways you are inviting us to be your hands and feet in a hurting world. Show us where we can share your hope, your joy, your peace. And we thank you that though there is much broken in the world, there is also much goodness. We thank you for the beauty of summer sunshine, for opportunities to see family and friends again. We thank you for the gift of new life as families welcome children and grandchildren into the world. We ask for your blessing on these little ones and that you would give their parents all that they need each and every day as they seek to raise their children well and teach them about you. We also thank you for weddings and engagements, for the commitments people make to each other and the promise and hope of doing life together. We pray a blessing on those who have been recently married or are getting married in the coming months and years. Thank you too for friendships, for people you place in our lives who encourage and support us and who we in turn can encourage and support. 
We pray that you would continue to bless friendships and that if anyone is feeling lonely or isolated, you would bring people into their lives and form new relationships. We think especially of those who have recently moved or are moving into a new area and um, for them to be able to make good connections and new friendships. God, we thank you most of all for the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Thank you that through Jesus, you are making a way for all that is broken to be made new. May that hope be like an anchor for our souls, carrying us through the challenges. May it fill our hearts with joy and peace as we put our trust in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.